So tonight's topic, I'm going to talk about rising to a challenge. Think about it for a minute. How do you rise to a challenge? Or in, in the past, what have been conditions which you've risen to a challenge? Thank you. And in order to frame this, I'm going to talk about a famous speech. Famous speech, the six, next Monday is the 60th anniversary of this famous speech. Speech by Dr. Martin Luther King. Speech given August 28th, 1963, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial during the, the great civil rights event, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And so there were half a million people on the mall that day. And many people spoke. The youngest speaker was John Lewis, who who later became a congressman. And the last speaker was Dr. King. And the reason they put him last is because they knew that he was an inspirational speaker. He had given inspirational speeches in the past. And they were really hoping that he would, he would hit a home run that day, you know, because not only were there half a million people on the lawn there, but there were TV cameras rolling. This was, the, to, the date, to date, the biggest civil rights event that had ever happened. And they really wanted it to be a big success. And so Dr. King started going through his prepared speech. And it's funny, if you read the first half of this speech, it's a pretty good speech. It's it's very literary, and, you know, certainly overeducated Berkeley literary types like it, you know. It's full of all kinds of fancy quotes and allusions. Um, But it wasn't really grabbing the crowd. Again, it was a a hot day in August, you know, a lot of these people have been up since early morning, traveled to this place, you know, it was kind of a distracted buzz in the crowd, and it was clear that he was starting to lose the crowd. And Dr. King knew this, and many of, the, many of his friends, many of the people in the March on Washington realized this also, and there was a lot of anxiety, because they, they wanted this speech to really be super impressive. And so about in the middle of the speech, Dr. King's friend, Michaela Jackson, she was up, she was a gospel singer, she was up on the stage also, cried out to him, Martin, tell them about the dream. And that was just the spark he needed. So he put aside his prepared comments and started to speak, started to improvise, essentially. Again, he's standing in front of an audience of a quarter million people, and he's starting to improvise. Um, And he starts to riff on the I have a dream that refrain. Now, presumably he wasn't making this all up on the spot. He had discussed the dream before. Obviously, 
He had discussed it at some point when Michaela Jackson had heard about it. But he wasn't planning on talking about it that day. He had never really fleshed it out as part of his speech. And so he was doing all that on the fly. Um, And of course, the more he went, the more he got inspired. And that part of the speech electrified the crowd. And that's the part of the speech that was most widely quoted afterwards on the nightly news that that really it wound up inspiring a whole nation um and in fact we now know this as the i have a dream speech because of this improvised section you know but really it was his ability to course correct sort of in mid-flight again performing in front of a quarter million people to leave his prepared marks and and kind of take this risk of improvising that turned this pretty good speech into perhaps the greatest speech in American history, you know? And so I've just reflecting on that this week, it just struck me, you know, what a profound example of rising to a challenge. And again, Next week will be the 60th anniversary of this speech. So that's, a, that's obviously a very heroic, lofty kind of example. Um, what is involved in rising to a challenge? Well, first of all, we have to trust ourselves. And think about that question. Do you trust yourself? You know, and I I think sadly, a lot of people try to answer that question from the head level. You know, go into the head, do I trust myself? Do I not trust myself? You know, and of course the head can generate all kinds of argument. Argument why I should trust myself. Argument why I shouldn't trust myself. And then run them both simultaneously. But trust has nothing to do with the head. Trust is actually about silencing the head and dropping into the core. Trusting our gut sense. Trusting the core wisdom in our body. There's something very grounding when we can trust that level of ourselves. And I think it's important to acknowledge also, trust is always a two-way street. If I want to have trusting relationships with others, I have to be willing to trust, but I also have to be trustworthy. Someone who could be trusted, you know. And as it is connecting with external others, it's also the same connecting with our internal others. It's a two-way street. I need to be open to trusting the wisdom of my gut, but I also need to behave in a way that's trustworthy to my gut, where my gut feels it can trust me. You know, I'm not going to listen to what it says and then do what my head decides anyway. You know, I'm really going to value the wisdom I get from there. So trust is a big piece. Another big piece is how comfortable are we with risk? You know, that's, that's just an interesting question for all of us. How comfortable are you with risk? 
you know, was part of what is striking in the example of Dr. King is what, what an astonishing risk he was taking, leaving his prepared marks to improvise, talking to a quarter million people, like just the astonishing risk of that. There's really no way in any circumstance that we rise to a challenge without risking ourselves in some way. You know, there's no, there's no safe way to rise to a challenge. You know, and that's an important thing to realize. Um, and related to risk, we need courage. And a distinction that, I, that I've drawn before, and I often like to draw this distinction, the distinction between what I would call small-minded courage versus large-hearted courage. Small-minded courage, that's much more of a head thing. That's when I decide I'm going to go up to the limits of what I think my limits are. I'm going to risk myself up to what I think I can handle. You know, and so it's very much prescribed by the limits of, you know, what I think my limits are. Large-hearted courage involves the recognition. My limits are always much broader than my head realizes. And my resources and my resilience are much deeper than my head can acknowledge, you know? And so again, it's more a willingness to trust oneself and risk oneself knowing that if I embrace that challenge, I will find the resources within me. Another aspect is being open to help. And part of that is asking for help. But part of that is what I'd call a willingness to be surprised by help. You know, sometimes it's the case that the help we most need comes in a form we weren't expecting. You know, Dr. King that day was not expecting his friend Michaela Jackson to shout out in the middle of the speech and give him a prompt. Like, he was not expecting that at all, you know? And yet that was, that was exactly the help that helped him most. You know, if they, he had been in a mindset of, you know, I'm giving a speech, don't talk to me, he would have neglected that transformative help, you know? What are the ways that we get so stuck on our path, so goal-oriented, goal that we overlook help in an unexpected form? You know, What right now is help that you could turn to in your life that you have been overlooking? You know? So all of these are aspects of rising to a challenge. And I'll say that in our external lives, you know, maybe some of you are facing a challenge right now, you know, I, we all face some kinds of challenges, you know, but it, you know, there, there may only be circum certain circumstances in which you would be rising to an external challenge. 
But there's a funny way that, that this Dharma talk is almost a continuation of last week's Dharma talk. Last week's Dharma talk was stepping into our power. Because the biggest challenges are the challenges posed by our own personal growth. And you could say the biggest challenge that any one of us faces at any moment is stepping more deeply into who we are. So along those lines, I want to read a poem. It's a poem by the poet David White. Start close in. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing, close in, the step you don't want to take. Start with the ground you know, the pale ground beneath your own feet, your own way of starting the conversation. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple. To find another's voice, follow your own voice. Wait until that voice becomes an intimate, private ear that can really listen to another. Start right now. Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. Be humble and focused. Start close in. Don't mistake that other for your own. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing, close in, the step you don't want to take. So that poem is on the quote sheet, which I'll share in a minute. Um, obviously, it's a very confronting poem, um, in some ways an empowering poem also. Um, often the next step in our personal growth is a step we don't want to take more times than not I mean every once in a while there's a pleasant step in our personal growth well then we take that step right away and then we're on to the next step which is unpleasant you know and so the whole process of rising to the challenge of ourselves and pursuing our personal growth requires what I would call a kind of fierce urgency of following this discipline. Just this knowledge that it may be one uncomfortable step after another, after another, that that might be the path of our personal growth. And I'll say one of the hardest things to balance in life is this very fierce urgency of pursuing personal growth, balancing that with self-love. Because both are true. It's true that right now, with all our flaws, with all our shortcomings, with all our mistakes, we are all worthy of more love than any of us can possibly imagine. That's true. And it's also true to get anywhere, 
we need this fierce urgency in pursuing our personal growth and changing who we are, you know? And I think, unfortunately, most people don't have either. And so they're stuck in this kind of lukewarm place in the middle and they, they feel stuck and they don't know why they feel stuck. You know, the more I reflect on it, I think the, the order to develop these is first to cultivate the self-love, you know, because I think many of us struggle with that. Self-love, self-compassion, self-caring, that is a long work, that is a work to begin. Now, the danger of self-love is that it might start to become a little bit indulgent or we might be, start to become a little lazy there. And so then there's the important recognition, first of all, that self-discipline is an aspect of self-love. So if I'm really serious about self-love, I have to be very disciplined about how I live my life. That's actually an expression of self-love. And ultimately, I think it's a higher realization of self-love that one of the most profound ways I love myself is by pursuing my personal growth with fierce urgency. That ultimately understanding that that fierce urgency is not the opposite of self-love, but the deepest expression of self-love. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the Zoomies. Hybrid etiquette, you know. So I have the David White poem at the top. And then, kind of an odd person to appear on a quote sheet, Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist, who said, the challenge of modernity is to live without illusions, without becoming disillusioned. And what struck me about that is, it might be the challenge of modernity, but it's also the challenge of Buddhism, to live without illusions, without becoming disillusioned. A slightly more typical person to quote, Shinryo Suzuki, said the most important point is to accept yourself and stand on your own two feet. The Christian mystic Thomas Merton said, you do not need to know precisely what is happening or where it is all going. What you need to recognize what you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. Psychologist Leo Buscaglia says, death is a challenge. It tells us not to waste time. It tells us to tell each other right now that we love each other. And right now that we love ourselves also. The mystic Carlos Castaneda said the basic difference between an ordinary man and a warrior is that a warrior takes everything as a challenge, while an ordinary man takes everything as a blessing or a curse. That's fascinating, you know. Do you take the bad things that happen to you as challenges? Do you take the good things that happen to you as challenges, you know? Of course, one from Dr. King himself. 
The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Long one from the poet Ted Hughes. That's the paradox. The only time most people feel alive is when they're suffering, when something overwhelms their ordinary careful armor and the naked child is flung out into the world. That's why the things that are the worst to undergo are the best to remember. But when that child gets buried away under their adaptive and protective shells, he becomes one of the walking dead, a monster. So when you realize you've gone a few weeks and haven't felt that awful struggle of your childish self, struggle to lift itself out of its inadequacy and incompetence, you know you've gone some weeks without meeting a new challenge, without growing, and that you've gone some weeks toward losing touch with yourself. The only calibration that counts is how much heart people invest, how much they ignore the fears of being hurt or caught out or humiliated. And the only thing that people regret is that they didn't live boldly enough, that they didn't invest enough heart, didn't love enough. Nothing else really counts at all. A quote from Merle Evers. Merle Evers was the widow of the great civil rights leader Medgar Evers, who was gunned down in 1963. Merle Evers was actually a recent widow and she had been invited to speak at, at the same rally Unfortunately, she missed her plane and, and could not be there. Uh, but a remarkable woman who is still alive. I've reached a point in my life where I understand the pain and challenges. And my attitude is one of standing up with open arms to meet them all. Really an astonishing woman. Jack Cornfield, one that's appeared before, quite simply, the trouble is that you think you have time. From Mark Nepo, it's like wearing gloves every time we touch something, then forgetting we choose to put them on, we complain that nothing feels real. Our challenge each day is not to get dressed to face the world, but to unglove ourselves so that the doorknob feels cold and the car handle feels wet and the kiss goodbye feels like the lips of another being soft and unrepeatable. Tara Brock says, awakening self-compassion is often the greatest challenge people face on the spiritual path. What would it mean to give your best to that challenge every day of your life? A quote from David White from a, a webinar he gave during the pandemic. Now, we tend to think of invisible help in a religious sense, you know, and if we're non-religious ourselves and don't use the nomenclature of God or of any of our inherited religions, we tend to think of invisible help as some form of superstition. But if we're religious, we tend to think of it in terms of angelic realms or parallels. If we're instinctively mythological, same thing. But it's really interesting to think of invisible help in a very practical way. Invisible help is the help you have not as yet recognized you need. Invisible help is the help that you have not yet invited into your life. And in order to invite invisible help into your life, you have to be right on the edge of who you're becoming. You have to pay scintillating attention. From Adi Shanti, your life 
All your life is your path to awakening. By not resisting or not dealing with its challenges, you stay asleep to reality. Pay attention to what life is trying to reveal you. Say yes to its fierce, ruthless, loving grace. Sagyam Mimpon says, This is bravery, using the challenge of everyday life to sharpen our minds and open our hearts. And for Mark and Angel Chernoff, when you are no longer angel, able to change the situation, you are challenged to change yourself, and that changes everything. 